Welcome to the Payments Podium podcast hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments Professor here, and I'd like to welcome you to the Payments Podium. Today, we're going to have some fun getting started with faster payments. Actually, we're going to talk about implementing faster payments, and we're going to talk with Marianne Miller. She is an expert in this field. She's actually an experienced expert in implementing faster payments. So, Marianne, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Well, great to be here, Kevin, and I just really enjoy spending time here with you and your audience. All right. Well, one question you got to answer for the audience right away that we ask on every payments podium is, how did you get started in electronic payments? I mean, not many people are sitting in grade school right now going, I'm going to work on electronic payments when I get older. And it's usually an interesting story for how did somebody actually end up in the world of electronic payments? So can you give us a short, you know, history of how you ended up in the world of electronic payments? Oh, it's, it's just a great story. And I've, been really fortunate in my career to not only work in electronic payments, but to work in global electronics payments. So I've had a lot of exposure to payments all over the world. So I I really came up through the ranks. Uh, I, you know, majored in criminal justice, you know, early in, you know, my, my education, but um, my, one of my first jobs in the field was actually at a bank in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I actually became part of the fraud department. And, and during that uh, time, we implemented uh, actually a neural network system called Falcon to watch the transaction monitoring on credit cards. So that was my first electronic payment is to watch all that fraud. But interesting enough, back when um, you know machine learning and um, you know neural networks were was not really a buzzword like it is today. It certainly in the late 90s was uh, something that was very um, at the forefront of uh, electronic payments. So I was very fortunate to be not only um, you know building my career, but also building my career with cutting edge technology early in my career. Well, and that is so great to hear. And I love uh, for people to hear, too, that you went to school for, let's say, criminal justice and and you ended up in the world of payments. There's a lot of different ways that you get your start in the payments. And I've also always told people fraud is the best department because even though, yes, there are things like behavioral analytics and AI that are out there now, it still requires human intervention. And that that's, you know, job security, in my opinion. But Today, though, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about, based on your experience, and you mentioned global payments, is I believe you were one of those innovators at the forefront of getting started in the world of faster payments in the UK. Is that correct? That's right, Kevin. That's one of the most exciting moments of my career. I was the head of fraud for Lloyd's Banking Group in London during the period of time when the uh, the UK launched Um, what they call now and still do, faster payments. And it was a really exciting time to be part of, you know, laying out the strategy of how to protect the bank and the the customers, but also how to enable faster payments. And uh, when I say faster, I mean faster. It was uh, the UK launched uh, higher upper limits and immediate settlement very quickly. And uh, customers just love it. Okay, so you were there before it went live. 
And as you know, right now in the U.S., we do have RTP that is alive and is available. And next year in 2023, we're going to have FedNow. And there are a lot of people that are looking and going, this is new. This is different. We've never done this before. What do we do to implement it? So when you were laying out that strategy for the launch of faster payments, what were the things that you guys looked at then? And and and, and folks listening in, note, we're talking around, what was this, 2007, 2008 timeframe? That's right, Kevin. It was 2008, 2007. And so when I first came to the bank and I knew faster payments was you know, about 12 months away and I took over my new role, I looked at you know what was the strategy. And I noticed that there really was uh, there the, the bank was very busy in getting the payment rails up and running. But I was very much questioning what was the identity strategy? What was the authentication strategy and the fraud strategy? really to protect against, uh, you know, what I knew was going to be a very um, challenging, um, well, and very attractive to the fraudsters. So when I took a look, I also um, thought, what, you know, what was important to me as a fraud strategist when looking at enabling faster payments? And I couldn't separate the fact that a, a fluid customer experience along with good customer, with, you know, good fraud protection and good security was you know, really at the pillar and the and you know baseline, what needed to happen. And I saw some of the other banks in the UK, and they were launching. Um, it was re- very funny. It looked like a little calculator where you stuck your card in it, and you know that's how the customer had to initiate a faster payments. Mm-hmm. And another bank, the customers had to walk around with fobs, you know, in their pockets. And mm-hmm. I thought, I don't want to do that as a customer. That's not something that I would find very convenient. So I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something competitive for Lloyd's Banking Group. And we certainly did. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So instead of any now, again, 2007, 2008, carrying fobs wasn't uncommon, but it was uncommon for individuals. It wasn't uncommon for businesses. So I could see where you definitely wouldn't want individuals to do that. So you found a way to get around that so that you could still identify and clarify, hey, this is the person that should be accessing this account because I agree with you. Now, then, faster payments are going to be preferable to the fraud, the uh, uh, the fraudsters. Although I will also say the payment channel isn't the fraud. That's just the way the money moves when fraud occurs. So what did you do to be able to find ways without having a physical device to further identify users to make sure, hey, these are the people that they say they are? I started with looking at what I call the fraud brain. So I said, I really need, and you know, giving my background with card transactions in real time uh, and, and the card world and in my, my experience with Falcon, I knew that scoring transactions and looking at behavior on a customer's account and looking for anomalies would be a way that you could also protect for faster payments. So I looked at all the data that would be provided during the session in which a customer would log on to the channel, um, migrate the channel and initiate that faster payment. And in the UK, you could, at that time, you know, launch a faster payment from your the online channel, mobile wasn't available yet, and the telephone banking channel, so I needed to protect that one as well. So I thought I needed to really have a, a place where um, payments that look normal for the customer would go through as normal. But if, if there was something that looked like an anomaly, something that didn't say to actually delay the payment just for a little while, authenticate that payment with the customer, 
um, provide a center of excellence for that customer to call into and remediate any uh, delay in their payment and then expedite that payment after. Well, I want to clarify something because you just said you would delay the payment for a while when you did clarification. And for those listening going, you can't delay these payments. They're instant. If I'm correct, you delayed it before it actually entered the faster payments channel. And you can do that. Like with FedNow, with RTP, if it hasn't entered into the RTP network, if it hasn't entered into the FedNow network, then that clock for that instantaneous part hasn't taken place. So you are really getting that gap in between from when you had the customer, let's say, logging on and creating the transaction to before it actually entered the payment channel. That's right, Kevin. You can look at all that rich session data. You can look at you know, de you know, device data. You can look at the um, signals of setting up that new beneficiary or that new payee. You can look at all those signals prior to the payment actually being sent that are very um, indicative of either a safe payment or indicative of a, of a possible potential fraud. So that's what we were really looking at, that data that would really point to, and in fact, um, you know, the safety of that payment to really point to, you know, calling that customer and, and checking in with them. Okay. And you just said a new payment. I mean, right away, that makes me think, what was the criteria you looked at to say, hey, this one scores higher or this one, it's good. It's scoring lower. And new is one of the things, I mean, first of all, it's going to be a new payment channel. So all payments will be new for a while, but say a new user, a new person being sent to, those are one of the things I've been told, hey, that's something to look at. Is that the criteria you look at? Or, or what are some of the other things that this just right away makes me think it needs further review, further clarification? So that's what's really exciting about the fraud brain, and that's what's exciting about the data. You can look at monetary activity. You can look at non-monetary activity. So you can look at, is this a new device logging into the channel? Was the customer's password just recently reset? Is this um, a new payee that they're setting up? Is the amount that, that along with the new payee, is the amount a higher amount than what the customer normally sends? Um, you know, what, where are some of the other signals that are coming in through um, some of the other channels, uh, you know, that, that the customer is calling in from? You know, did they pass authentication? Uh, you know, lots and lots and lots of data that actually can, that tells a story in what I call, you know, the models in the fraud brain. You're right. Data tells a story. That's great. So new device, recent password resets new payees, amounts that are out of the norm. What about frequency? Is that one ever play into if you have somebody who's suddenly trying to send a lot of different payments? Absolutely. Velocity is something that we always look at in the model. So if the customer, you know, again, if the, the, if the account or the, the, the customer looks like they're sending lots of different payments all of a sudden and there's a burst of activity, that's usually indicative of fraud. Okay. All right. Now, you set all that up to look for all those different parameters. Let's go back to when you actually launched. And when you actually go and you launch, this system is live. You've got payments flying at five, 10 seconds, you know, a piece, boom, boom, across the network all the time, too. What happened? What were like, uh, you, what, was it as expected? Were there any surprises? Did, did fraud really take off right at the beginning? These are the types of questions I know a lot of people are dying to know. What, what was your experience when you hit that live button? Yeah, so this is the best, <laughs> the question I like to answer the most because it's very interesting for the audience here in the U.S. 
especially with um, FedNow and, and uh, you know all of our uh, great payments that we're getting ready to launch. With faster payments in the UK, it was interesting because the whole market went live at one time. So it was a very well talked, it was you know exciting for the UK. It was talked about at all levels. The media covered it very well. So the customers and the consumers were ready and knew about faster payments, but so did the fraudsters. The fraudsters were ready. So you know they were collecting customer, you know, credentials or they were collecting username and passwords. They were ready from day one. Um, what I call it is um, you know, when the, when faster payments launched in the UK, it was cakes and balloons moment, but it was also a cakes and balloons moment for the fraudsters as well. They they were ready to ready to pounce, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So there was actually a spike in fraud at the beginning because of, uh, well, would it be factors like saying, hey, you didn't have any data to be able to compare against because it's brand new? Or is it because the fraudsters were just that prepared? I mean, these guys really study and work hard. We have to admit it. Or, or was it other factors? It's just, you know, things you didn't see that you maybe got blindsided by. Well, what, you know, one of the things that was really interesting is you know, when you're building a, a what I call the fraud brain, there's lots of different uh, aspects to look at. So you're looking at all the data feeds that are coming into your model. And those data feeds are critical to alert quality. You know, they're critical to the quality of the score. So uh, when new, new systems go up, you know, when you, if you think about it, there were new payment rails going up. There was new fraud systems going up. There were new authentication systems being implemented. So when you think about all of those moving pieces, there's bound to be some quirks and some hiccups. And, and during that period of time, um, you know, one of the lessons learned that we had was that it's very important to have what I call a fuse or a signal on every data feed that goes into your model to make sure that if that data feed drops and uh, it would, that and that the, especially one that would affect the alert quality that you're alerted right away so that you can restore that data feed as quickly as possible and uh, that's one of the you know one of the lessons learned that we had so those data feeds, that's looking at like, hey, recent password sets, new devices, all that type of stuff, right? Having your system set up to identify those and then set an alert. But if I'm correct, it's a 24-7 system. Does that mean you had alerts going off two o'clock in the morning on Sunday? That's right. So we had the system up and running seven by 24. We had a, a, a center of excellence ready to um, talk to the customers. Um, all all the way around the clock, so in case they had a question about their payment, so that their payment could be released. But in addition to that, if you think about it, what you really need to do is make sure that you know your your it's it's really becomes mission critical. You really need to make sure all your data feeds are up and running, your models are up and running, uh, your payments are delaying as as you know as expected, or your payments are processing as expected. So all of those things are really important uh, to make sure that. Not only that you're, you know, catching the fraud, but you're servicing the customer correctly too. Okay. And in that servicing of the customer, here's something else that comes up because, you know, I, I told people jokingly, but seriously, I got in the banking industry like you in the nineties because banking hours, I mean, that had huge appeal to me. All right. You only work regular days and nine to five. Oh, that was awesome. Those hours are gone now though. 
And so if it's 24 seven, if it is that 2 a.m. on Sunday, you are at a large financial institution, the center of excellence. I love that name that could handle, though, having these calls at weird times. What would you tell a smaller institution? Because, you know, here in the U.S., we got thousands of financial institutions and many of them, they don't have the staffing available to be on over the weekend and to be doing some of this monitoring. What would you tell them that they should do or they should look at when it comes to working with and offering these faster payment solutions or if something happens during those types of hours? So that's a really good question, Kevin. And I, I would say that, you know, they could seek out partners that could help them you know, uh, augment their current staff. So maybe that they could look for a partner that could help, you know, set up, an, you know, a, a center of excellence off hours um, that could support those processes. Um, there's a possibility that um, maybe they would even look at if, you know, if I'm going to offer faster payments, maybe at the beginning, I I do it during business hours just to make sure that I've, I'm, I've safely launched fa the faster payments and then extend it to, you know, weekends, then maybe extend it to holidays, extend it to, you know, other times of the day to make it convenient for their customers. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, there's um, partners out there that could really help with, you know, having a better, you know, better experience for your customer. This podcast is brought to you by the VSoft Corporation. VSoft offers core processing, digital banking, and payment processing solutions for financial institutions of all sizes. Follow us on Twitter at VSoft underscore corp and online at vsoftcorp.com. Okay, back to the show. Uh, I agree in the partnering with people. There's a lot of people out there. And I want to jump back to one you said only offering during business hours and just some clarification that they they have to be open to receive at all times. And in fact, I tell a lot of financial institutions, just start off receiving until you become comfortable with that before you send. But what you're talking about is that sending, you can turn that on and off. You can choose to have it on. Like I, I think that's a great idea. Only business hours at first so that you are there to be able to help and assist people. And then based on maybe some of these fraud models based on your data, you start extending the hours over time for users until you get to a point where you're comfortable with a 24-7 type environment. So is that the type of strategy you're saying that maybe they can look at on the send side? Yeah, that's what I would suggest. Definitely. And that way it gives them time to build their operational processes, you know, to look and make sure that your models are being refined and, you know, your, your, you know, I call your delay or interdiction strategy is working correctly. So that all gives you time to work out all the kinks, you know, in those processes. And then I think, you know, I, I think customers are fine with, you know, having hours that, you know, make it convenient for them to send payments, as long as you're clear about when those hours are, you know, on, on you know, on your website or on in the mobile app, just make sure that customers are clear when they can send a faster payment. I agree, because I mean, some people will love to be able to send it at any time. I, I in fact, I saw a commercial during a football game yesterday of a local community credit union here in the Tampa area where I live showing how they've much extended their hours. And at the end of the commercial, it says, and if you can't make it in person during our extended hours, you can always do things online. So I thought that was great. But also when we start extending hours, you know, going back to your experience in the UK and the fraudsters, was there a peak time that they would try to attack? Did they, you know, say, okay, it's outside of business hours. Let's go now. Was it, you know, maybe Friday at six o'clock, they've had a couple of pints and now suddenly they're trying to attack your network. 
So what's interesting about being online, I call it the internet, you know, and what's interesting about being, you know, global is the bad actors can come from any, anywhere in the world, actually. So depending on, again, I, you know, I'll put a caveat to that. Most banks have firewalls and things to keep out some kind of, you know, nefarious activity, but fraud actors really don't care what time of day they attack. Now, given that, they do like to take advantage of what I call Christmas Eve, or they like to take advantage of after hours. You know, we've had, you know, I've seen, you know, um, bot attacks, or I've seen bad actors go after certain hours um, that, you know, really, you know, hopefully they're trying to catch that the bank off guard. But, um, but I would say that when you're looking at faster payments is really you need to be prepared, again, seven by 24 because of the fact that the bad actors, you know, are really globally positioned. Okay, and when they do attack, here, here's something else that I, I, I'm always curious about. When they do or did attack, did they always go for like the maximum amount? Because I believe in the UK, you started off with, was it 15,000 pounds was the maximum of a single transaction? We look at Fed now though, it's starting off with a 500,000 limit. Granted, that's a default of 100,000. The institution would have to raise it if they wanted it to be more. And I got to point out too, there will be a software layers from service providers in between where they can set even lower limits. However, did the fraudsters always go for the maximum amount or did they go for maybe trying to get amounts that would sneak through? They, they definitely would do both, but we do, you usually did see some kind of step up. So the experimentation, let me first try to see if I can send 200 pounds. Oh, that went through. Oh, let me, let me see if I can send 500 pounds. Oh, that went through. And then, you know, then, then you would see the further activity. So that's how we would see actually the scores of the models go up and up because they would be, you know, payments being sent, you know, maybe right in a row for, you know, different amounts, but, you know, the same beneficiary. So you did see experimentations. Now, there were, there were some bull frosters would just go in, go up to the limit or right below it and try to send it. You know, they were, um, you know, maybe attacking several accounts at once and they just wanted to see which ones went through. So, I, you know, now that's why your model needs to be refined to be able to identify either or. So, you know, either the uh, kind of what I call slow dripping fraud or the, you know, the big, the big bang. So but both of those, you know, need to be your model needs to be able to be sensitive to both of those. So slow drip or big bang, fraudsters come um, diversified, I think is what it comes down to, right? They're going to try any That's way right. that they can. All right. Uh, this is just really some fascinating stuff because, again, I know I get this these questions over and over again. People are going to be launching these systems. They want to know, what should I do? If you were to have like a checklist of here's the top five things, I would say as an institution, especially a smaller one, maybe even mid-sized, because we know the larger ones, they have entire fraud departments. They have IT departments who can monitor all this stuff. But the smaller, mid-sized and smaller institutions don't. What would be your top five of these are the top five things I would say before you launch, go do this or have this in place and have this ready? That's a great question. So I would say the first thing is, um, is education for your financial institution. So it, it's very important, even at the highest level of your institution, for the executives to understand that, you know, as you're working on putting these, um, you know, faster payment rails in, that it's really important to actually have a clear strategy. So I would say number one is a clear faster payment strategy. And when I say that is really ask yourself the question, 
how am I going to do better identity proofing uh, during account onboarding? How am I going to authenticate my faster payment? How am I going to do fraud monitoring for my faster payment? And really think about all those layers that of controls because what, what may happen is faster payments, again, to your point, Kevin, it's not the payments that's the problem, but 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 the fact that there's a little bit more speed uh, or a lot more speed that you may maybe than you've you know offered before, um, it may be that you have gaps in your you know your strategy that you need to review or gaps in your tool set that need to be updated. So definitely make sure you have a clear strategy. Um, is I would say the next thing you need to do is to make sure that your strategy is comprehensive. Make sure that you're including all lines of business. So you're looking at you know, what's your operational response back to your center of excellence? What's your, you know, how are you going to manage your fraud models? Do you, do you need to consider model governance? You know, how do you need to actually, who, you know, who will be your, your vendor that will support you? Does your vendor have actual experience with, with, you know, payments and speed? And can they support you in the kinds of models and reactions to the model? Um, the third thing is, is to make sure that you have a delay capability. And when I say a, del a delay capability, that also means a payment release capability. So you want to make sure that if, and if perhaps, you know, your customer's um, payment needs to be delayed, be, to be entered onto the rails, faster payment rails, that you, you know how to, uh, to, to delay the payment, but the messaging to the customer in the app or online is clear on what they need to do next. And then if they, if, if they, your customer authenticates that that payment is genuine, then you need to be able to have a fast release button to get that payment right onto the rails. So that's a, a very important aspect. Um, and I would say number four is, is to make sure that you're, you're cooperating or coordinating with your cyber teams. So what's interesting is, um, uh, once, you know, if you think about it, uh, uh, your, your fraud attacks can come any time of the day, you know, seven by 24, make sure that your cyber strategy is also coordinated with your fraud strategy. That's certainly really, really important, you know, uh, across the board. And I would say lastly, is to continue to refine your, 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 your fraud strategy. Your, your first, um, should I say, um, strategy out the door may not be the perfect one, but it will be your first one and your best one. And, and reevaluate, continue risk assessments, continue to evaluate how you can improve and make sure that, you know, you look at those uh, gaps that you have and, and fill those. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm frantically taking notes here because I feel like you just took me to school. That is some incredible stuff. Uh, folks, I, I, let's do a quick recap of that. Number one is faster payment strategy. And I know a lot of people cringe when they hear that, but it's so true. I, I love that. You know, how are you onboarding? How are you identifying people? What are your layers of control? I love that you also said, make sure it's comprehensive. Get everybody involved, all departments. Look at how you're going to manage all of this. And even if you are using another third party for support of all of this, you, would you say you still need to have everybody involved? You still need to have all departments involved, even if a third party manages this for you? Yes, absolutely. I think it's really important to have all your business stakeholders, your technology stakeholders, your risk stakeholders, you know, um, your, your customer service 
um, and customer experience stakeholders, everyone really needs to be um, educated and understand the strategy and bought into it and have a and have and contribute to it. I got to agree. Buy into it, not just educated, but they got to buy into it. They got to believe in it so that it will actually take place. Okay. Then your number three on there, that one is one that I do believe is huge. I know I tell a lot of people when they're asking, Hey, who should I go with the faster payment channel or option? I tell them, well, one of the biggest things is got to make sure that whoever it is can communicate with your core, but you're taking it another level higher. Cause I also tell them you need good reporting. But you're saying check and see what they've got as far as, you know, a capture component, a delay component, a review component, something that allows flagging of payments before they're actually sent that allows a review, which could be by a computer or a system, or it could be manual, but then releases or rejects, I I, I would assume is the case then. It either is going to release or it's going to reject and put it back. But really big on that one, you also said it's got to have messaging that the customer understands what's happening and what to do next. Um, I, I'd say that's probably big because, have, did you ever have any problems with duplicates? Yes, you, you, know, you, you could have duplicates, you could have, you know, there's, um, you know, um, a, lot, a lot of different moving pieces, especially at the beginning, where you would have to maybe look at the deduping of some of those payments as well, till the, till the systems kind of get sorted and, um, and, um, and coordinated correctly. Awesome. Okay. And number four, folks, was fraudsters can and will attack at any time. So coordinate your cyber and fraud strategies and and not work really in silos. Make sure other teams are coordinated on those strategies. And finally, it's not a one and done. When you first launch, you will be like the rest of us learning how and adapting to the fraud activity that you see. In fact, I would say that's true of all payment channels today. You've got to constantly be reviewing, reevaluating, and updating your policies, your procedures, your controls as the fraudsters are out there, and that's what they're doing. That's right, <laughs> and they are they are definitely out there coordinating. Um, they're on the social media. They're talking to each other. Um, they certainly uh, they have whole channels set up and uh, they even have their own mentors. So uh, we really need to be prepared on, on, the, on the banking side. Well, Marianne, I want to thank you so much for being here today. You have been a mentor to me because I just feel like I got taken to class and I've learned a lot of things that need to be considered when it comes to implementing faster payments and what you need to be looking at. I really greatly appreciate you being here today on the Payments Podium. For all of you out there listening, if you've got any questions, you can always email me, kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. If you want to hear Marianne on the show again, let me know. We'll definitely get her back. And if you want to get in contact with her, you can also email me. You can find her on LinkedIn. We'll definitely make sure that you get in contact with her. If there is a topic or a person that you think should be on the Payments Podium, also, email me that, again, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com. We'll make sure that we get that topic covered or that we get that person on. But for now, I got to say, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson. See you on Thursday.